0: So good morning, Calvary Chapel. My name is Matthew May. I don't want to spend too much time with a lengthy uh, introduction. I've been here before. I love this community. I see many of you travel down to Ocean City throughout the season. So let me jump into what God has called me to deliver today. Let me say this first and foremost. My role and responsibility as a minister of the gospel is not to tell people what they want to hear. My role is to tell people what God wants them to hear. There's a huge gap between the two today. And my role and responsibility is very simple. I'm here not to give a good talk. I'm here to simply re-talk God's talk. And we need to get back to the narrative of biblical correctness, not political correctness. So I'm to jump into an issue that I'm seeing on the horizontal. It's called identity theft. Many of you here may have been a victim to identity theft. We at coastal Christian recently were... Um, exposed to identity. So somebody actually took Pastor Matt Stokes' identity. They made an email with his name and sent it to the staff and even some of the people in our community, asking them to purchase gift cards and drop them off at a location, and he would pay them later. Now, a lot of people saw the red flag over that and contacted the staff and said, this did not sound right. Is it Pastor Matt? We have... from Pastor Matt Stokes. Look at me. It's not Pastor Matt. It's an imposter, Matt. Big difference. And when you look at that, you realize somebody took his namesake, falsified his name, misrepresented his identity. And if that hasn't touched your life, you know how insecure you feel when somebody has been able to reach into your personal and private livelihood and take advantage of that. Now I'm going to transition to the vertical and the spiritual. And the more damaging identity theft that we're seeing in America. So I'm going to tell you my title for this sermon is The American Christian, and I'm seeing a culture of complacency and compliance. The American Christian is taking the Lord's name, wearing it, but not bearing the nature of Christ. There are a lot of people, actually 70%, We're it, we're falsifying it, we're taking it in vain, and even modifying the name Christian. Now this thought has its genesis in Dr. Tony Evans. But he said anytime you place an adjective before a noun, then the adjective's role is to modify the noun. and my blackness is going to modify my Christianity. I am a Christian in America who is white. So I start there because what I'm seeing is a nominal Christian, a Christian by name, is defined more by the land they are living in than the one they are called to live from. Would you get that? Nominal Christians, Christians by name, are defined more by the land, the culture around us Many Christians by name are defined more by the church they're attending than the Christ they're called to be serving. Many Christians by name are defined more by, look at me, the fabric of a denomination versus the fruit of conversion. Let me unpack that for you. People will identify themselves as, I'm an evangelical Christian. Well, I'm a charismatic Christian. I'm a Pentecostal Christian. I'm a Baptist Christian. And that's okay if that denomination begins to modify what it means to be a Christian, that's not okay. See, the Bible says that we're all charismatic. That word means spiritually graced. Every Christian is spiritually graced. The Bible says we're all evangelistic in nature. Evangelism is sharing the gospel. And I believe in Pentecost too. That happened in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit fell upon his people and indwelled his disciples. I believe all that, but what I'm trying to get us to see is that I am a Christian, and if you call by that name, it comes with some standards. It comes with some requirements. It comes with the word of God. Too many Christians are defined more by membership than discipleship. Too many Christians, and this category is huge, are defined more by the family that they're born into physically than being a born-again believer spiritually. I'm guilty of that narrative. I was born into a Christian family as if that statement qualified me as a believer, See, i to make a decision from a willful place to choose Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It's not about being born into a family. It's about being born again into a family. Being born from above. Let me just put it to you like this. The Bible says to be a Christian is to be a citizen of heaven. Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 to 20. You can turn there. He begins, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, reminding them that he wanted to be their example. He said, Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who seek to walk as we have walked together in a pattern. He places his life as a pattern to follow. So the wisest thing for us to do is find people in their Christian walk who you can hitch your life to, your eyes to, and you can follow their example. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He is calling the congregation to watch his life live in light of Christ. He then takes that pattern of Christianity and he highlights an erroneous pattern of Christianity, nominal Christianity. And it begins in verse 18. He says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. In case we read too fast and we come to the conclusion, That the moment he mentions an enemy of the cross of Christ, we believe that these individuals are publicly opposing Christianity. No, they're not. These are these are people who wore the name Christian, but were actually forsaking the nature of Christ. He identifies them. This was their characteristics. They have an end which is destruction, not eternal life, eternal damnation, whose God is their belly, their their appetite for ungodliness. Whose glory is in their shame. They glory in things that are shameful. And finally, ready? Who set their mind on earthly things. That right there becomes the root of everything that precedes it. When we set our mind on earthly things. These individuals, these people who were enemies of the cross of Christ, you know who they were? An enemy of the cross of Christ is anyone who claims Christ brought sin to an end, but whose lives still make sin a friend. See, if you believe that Christ on the cross purchased your life, paid for your sin debt, and he brought sin to an end, then how could I believe that and still make sin a friend? They wanted the grace of God, but they didn't want the God of grace. Am I speaking to anybody this morning? You see, wanting the grace of God is taking advantage of his grace and saying, well, he'll forgive me, and he will. But if grace touches your life, it's not that you're going to be sinless. It's that you're going to sin less. Grace is not a license to sin, church. Grace gives me full access to him. And when you spend time with him, everything changes. Your economy changes. Your culture changes. How you identify yourself changes. That's why Paul said, hey, don't forget who you are. Verse 20. Your citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior. There's an anticipation for the believer, but we're citizens of a different kingdom. The word citizenship here is the word commonwealth. Your commonwealth is in heaven. Your conversation is in heaven. The ancient word conversation tied you to an association. You were recognized by your language, the language that you spoke. Citizenship here. As an American citizen, we understand what it means. It's a status, it's an identity recognized under law as a legal member of a sovereign state or nation. We got that. The Philippians understood it too. You see, they were a mini Rome, they were an outpost of Rome. They were known for their Romanness, even though they've never been there. Many of those that lived in that colony were retired soldiers, and as retired soldiers, they understood the significance of titles, the social significance. They prided themselves on being Roman citizens, yet here Paul is saying, do you understand that concept? Civic duty, representing a kingdom, bound to an emperor, yeah, you're a citizen of heaven. Your allegiance has completely changed how you identify completely changes. You are now entitled to certain rights, biblical rights, and you are entrusted with certain responsibilities. Biblical responsibilities. Because as followers of Jesus Christ out here on this lawn, beneath God's amazing blue sky, we are to be formed by the scriptures, not the culture. My love and my loyalty comes from the Word of God. And this next point may sting for some of us. Look at me. The Bible is my Constitution, not the American Bill of Rights. And I'll be the first person to say we are to exercise. Our religious liberties, we can gather on the lawn on a Sunday in June and worship our king and praise his holy name because we have religious liberties. But what I'm saying is that there is coming a day where we will no longer have those liberties in America. And you need to know, not the Bill of Rights, you need to know your Bill of Rights, what the Bible says. So I spend time in his word. And I know more about being a heavenly citizen than an American citizen. See, our theology should not be informed by Facebook. Our theology should be formed and informed by getting face-to-face with this book. When I spend time in the Word of God, it influences me. It shapes the way I think. It actually controls the way I respond. See, the American Christian, the Christian by name, they're in influenced more by the news than the good news Taking sides with the right or the left Or the donkey or the elephant No, no, no I'm taking sides with the lion of Judah I want to know what he has to say about this world So I, yes, stay informed But I do not allow any of that information to form me It is the word of God that fashions me It is the word of God that forms me It's the word of God that secures me. It's the word of God that sustains me. It's the word of God that becomes my lifeline. If this book in my hand is not your lifeline, why are you surprised when you're swept away by the deception of every headline? This book right here, you know what a lifeline is, right? If somebody goes overboard, they throw out a rope. It's a lifeline. They're treading water. They may drown, and the lifeline offers them salvation. But a more appropriate definition for lifeline is what they connect to an astronaut who leaves the vessel, the spacecraft, and goes into an atmosphere. And without that lifeline, the atmosphere will literally destroy him, kill him. He needs the lifeline to be able to breathe. Notice he's tethered, tethered to the vessel. And as a citizen of heaven, we're tethered to heaven's economy. Same thing for a diver. When he goes beneath... The surface into an environment where without that lifeline, he will suffocate. And I don't know about you, but I am not immune to this. When I find myself getting caught up in all the narratives online, I find myself suffocating. I can't breathe. So I have to come back to the Word of God. The Word of God is my oxygen. I spend time in it, and then I can take a breath and recognize that my God is sovereign, He's in control, and I want to know what He has to say to the church. Jesus said it in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. He said, Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. If you spend time in my word, if you are tethered to my word, like a vine and its branches, you're connected. This is where you find your sustenance. Jesus says, You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We are caught up and entangled. By a culture of lies and to remain silent with the truth only inflames it only emboldens it see God's word will never expire it is the same yesterday, today and forever we see the makeup of God's word in a person, his name is Jesus Christ and God's word from the beginning should not be altered with should not be modified, should not be changed there's a movement that is sweeping our country it's called progressivism Progressivism stems from progressive thought Progressive thinkers Progressive leaders Now let me just unpack this for you Progressive thought unhinged from God's word Which is trying to push him out of the public square And even push him out of the church square Look at me Don't you dare let them push him out of you however See progressivism at its core Has an assumption That human nature can be improved And by leveraging government They can impact society and human development. Now, it sounds admirable and honorable. It sounds cute. But we know at the core of humanity is rebellion and wickedness. And it's only the word of God that can transform the soul. The word of God needs to be what we lead with. Why? Because progressive thought from a degenerate heart only produces ungodly onslaught. God's word is the truth. Romans chapter 3, verse 4. Let God be true, and everyone else a liar. See, God's word is timeless and timely at the same time. It transcends and it transforms. It's timeless because it does not change. It's timely because it has the power to bring change. So I lead with the word. As Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, this is the believer's DNA. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. Do not let the world fit you into its mold. You cannot be conformed to the world and transformed by the word at the same time. can't happen. The word of God calls us to choose. Make a decision. Who are you loyal to? What side are you on? And that's like a statement that today, where we're actually invited to take sides, and every side has its divisiveness, and I want to stand with the Lord. I want to be infused by his perspective. I want to see how he sees humanity. I want to understand how he governs righteousness, equity, and justice. I want to start with him. So I look into the word of God. Thank you for the seven people that appreciate the word of God. Sympathy claps. See, the word of God renews the mind. It's an interesting word. It means renovation. If you did any renovations during the past 90 days when you had the time, you'll understand that you went into an area and you began to fix it up. But sometimes you had to tear it apart before you put it back together. That word, renovation of mind, is what the Lord wants to accomplish in our hearts and our minds. Let me understand how a, a lens affects the way I view A telescope, for example. When I look into God's Word, it's like a telescope. It's a lens. And what does a telescope do, church? It opens you up to a new world, a world that you can't see with your naked eye. And when you look into the telescope of God's Word, it brings things that are far, near, and it makes things that are blurry, clear. And it actually affects my mind and how I think affects how I act. This is very simple. Here's a litmus test for us to know whether or not your mind is renewed by the word. If your mind doesn't mind the world's lewd, crude, and rude point of view, then chances are your mind is not renewed. Let me say that again. If your mind doesn't mind the world's rude, lewd, and crude point of view, chances are your mind is not renewed. Now, when I say that, I'm not talking about being offended by the world. Too many people are offended by everything, no matter what you say. I'm not talking about being offended by it. We shouldn't. We shouldn't be surprised. I'm talking about not getting numb to it, not allowing your conscience to be numb to it. You see, a renewed mind sees the world with new eyes. And with a new mind, I do mind what I allow into my mind. It's Psalm chapter 119, verse 37. It says, Turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your word. Turn away my ears from listening to worthless things and revive me in your way. If I go first, I will admit, actually recently my wife and I got into a series on Netflix, and of course this is their attempt The first several episodes seem clean. You fall in love with the characters. You're hooked. You begin binging. By episode five or six, they'll insert something that throws you off. A sexual scene in the name of a love affair. And in the next episode, they take it further. See, they have the hook out there. They've baited you in. And now, Christian, do you continue watching? Do you continue saying, oh, that's my show, Game of Thrones? 13 Reasons Why, all these other shows. Does your mind mind what you're exposing your eyes and your ears to? I can listen to a song today from my past. I could watch a movie today that I enjoyed back in the day. And I'm watching it. I love this movie. And then I realize with new eyes, I can't believe I thought this movie was clean. And I turn it off. Because I don't want that filth in my house. Because as for me, in my house, I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm going to serve the Lord. See, an unchanged mind is the sign of an unchanged heart. I'm going to let that actually land. An unchanged mind, if I am still held shackled by stinking thinking, that's the sign of an unchanged heart. And the cross of Jesus Christ is the only power that can transform that heart and that mind. It gives you a new mold, a new mold that fits with the Lord, a new mind that focuses on things above. This is the antithesis of what Paul said, the enemies of the cross of Christ were entered. They had an earthly mind. They were worldly Christians. Paul in Colossians says, set your mind on things above. Throw your mind Above culture. The Word of God will transcend it. Let it form you and fashion you. It is only the Word of God that can bring lasting and meaningful change. I know because I've seen it. It not only has impact in my life, but when I was in jail for almost five years in a system that's broken, where they try to rehab men and women, they try to offer reform to behavior. They want you to sign up for their programs and their policies. And I watched a man who was a career criminal, who was actually a mob enforcer for a crime family in New York City, spent his entire life in and out of jail. Six foot three, 330 pound man named Little John. And he was feared. The first moment I met Little John, I could tell There is a ripple effect of fear on the housing unit. The officers even started to chat about who he was. So I started to watch John. As God's sovereignty would have it, his bed was right next to mine. And many of you know my testimony. God used me as nothing but a mirror to point to him. So when John saw my life transformed and saw the peace of God in a world of chaos, he couldn't reconcile it. Everything he had seen up to that point, did not actually say that there was a God. So God said, I want to get his heart. And all I had to do was preach the word, teach the word, invite John into the word. And it was the word of God that radically transformed this hard heart of John Palladino. He went from being violent to benevolent. He went from being a hard man to a humble man. Instant transformation. He went from crime to Christ. I rehash a story. It happened out in the big yard. We call it the prison yard. If you're curious what that looks like, any prison movie that you've seen that has a scene in the big yard, that's what it looks like. The longest yard, Shawshank Redemption. That's pretty accurate. Birds of a feather flock together. But I would go out into the yard, and I wouldn't allow the segregation to isolate me. See, when I say segregation, I'm talking about the brothers were playing basketball. The Spanish guys were playing handball the Mexicans were playing soccer, the white guys were lifting in the weight pit, the older generation was playing bocce, no exaggeration, and even the the outcasts in that environment would just walk the track. So each day I would choose a different activity. I'd be on the ball playing with the brothers. I'd go play soccer. I'd run the Mexicans through drills. I would show them the gospel in the way that I was loving. I'd walk the yard with the outcast. I'd play handball with the Spanish. I'd work out in the weight pit with the whites. Why am I telling you that? I'm telling you that because Paul said, and that's the biblical narrative, though I am free from all men, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. That day in this yard, the warden calls me over. One thing you don't ever want to be seen doing in prison is talking to a corrections officer, let alone the warden. You barely saw the warden. Yet this day he comes out into the cage. I had to stand three feet behind the line. He called me by my first name. The warden enrolled with an entourage, a lieutenant, a sergeant, and petty officers. And he comes to the gate, and in front of all of my peers, he says, hey, Maddie. Maddie, come here. Now everybody's stopping. Now I'm walking over. I don't know what he's going to say to me. Thank you, Jesus, that he decided to speak loudly so everybody could hear. He says, I just want to tell you something. I want you to know that I appreciate the work. That you're doing with little John. Let me, let me stop that because, as a former professional soccer player, I used to train kids, and one of the things mom and dad would say to me after a training session, I and mean, they "Coach Matt, we just want to thank you for the work that you're doing with little Johnny here." And I understood sure what that meant in that context. Now let's go back to the prison context. The warden says, "I want to thank you for the work that you're doing with little John," and then he said this—the qualifier to the statement—he pointed at his actual peers. And the inmates, and he said, because if these bleepity bleeps knew who he was, they won't even look him in the eyes. I remember thinking, who is little John? Is he Hannibal Lecter? Like, what, what, what's up with this guy? But what the warden was affirming was what he heard about John's transformation. He was basically saying, this guy's present looks nothing like this guy's past. And he wanted to affirm it. And I remember rejoicing and going, that's not my work. That's God's work. That's the Holy Spirit at work. That's the Bible at work. So I want to work the Bible because the Bible works. Can you hear me in the back? See, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Remember, transformation and creation, transformation, transformation. We were taught this in elementary school. It's what happens when a caterpillar enters a cocoon and emerges on the other side, a beautiful butterfly. They say that nothing of the butterfly's form is similar to the caterpillar's form. You're talking about complete new form, complete transformation. The same idea exists here. See, these are very common Bible verses for the Christian. And the reason I chose them, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, is because there's no room for my own interpretation. It says if anyone is a christian they are a new creature the things that you used to do you no longer do and you don't use it as a legalistic approach to life you walk in grace and you're thankful that god saved you from yourself that's what the blood accomplishes and i'm calling the christian community in this country back to the cross back to understand who you are you are a citizen of heaven and if you're wondering why i'm so passionate it's because when this word gets inside of you everything changes and you can't help but to tell people about it talking about the only one who can save anyone who's done anything that's what it means to be a new creation it's an interesting word it means the founding of a city from the ground up any construction workers here you already know when you go into a site it requires several things the first thing you do is you clear the land completely for grading and grounding before you can even put a foundation down and this word Creation here, God is saying, I'm founding a city from the ground up. I'm making it habitable and useful. I'm founding a citizen from the heart out. That word citizen and city are interrelated. New creation, new heart. No program or reform can change the heart. I know because I was in them. I was in a program called Cage Your Age. You can laugh. That's the last thing you would ever want to do is cage your rage. You no, know, what you need to do is come to the God who can release you from that rage. See, a heart that is previously dead in sin becomes alive in him. It's the resurrection, and if we believe the resurrection, as we just sang it, it comes with resuscitation. And resuscitation is that you're flat out, you're dead, you're gone. There's no life in you, spiritually. And then God entered, and he resuscitated you he put his breath in your body if his breath is in my body what does that look like how does that translate how do I live in light of that I'll tell you you stand on a conviction we call it a biblical worldview in theology this might hurt but only 6% of the United States of America hold to a biblical worldview biblical worldview says there's absolute truth biblical world you there's a God who's in control, there's a God who gave us his son Jesus who became savior of sin, and then when you receive him you have eternal life and then you tell people about the gospel, and there's a real enemy who's attacking and trying to steal and destroy that mission, that's a biblical world view, and only 6% of our country holds to that, and we wonder why the climate of America is one of contamination, pollution, sexual immorality. Where are the believers with a new conviction? I'll tell you what that does. A conviction within. I will not be compliant with hell. When there's a conviction within, which means you respond to the world above you. You are anchored by the word of God within you. You don't let the world around you fit you into its mold. You become like Daniel who was a teenager in a foreign land to the young ones here. They took Daniel from His homeland and put him into exile In Babylon And Babylon's first attempt was physical isolation Remove you from what you once knew And then mental indoctrination Trying to influence these young minds To be like their minds And Daniel said no Though I'm in Babylon And America right now is Babylon If you are in Babylon You do not have to let Babylon live inside of you When the word of God occupies All the space in your heart and mind There's no room for the world Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, tells us how Daniel did this. It says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. To reject the king's foods was to reject the king himself, punishable by death or prison. Yet we see Daniel's heart here. It says he chose in his heart, he purposed in his heart, not to defile himself. And what I want to say before I read the rest of the verse, when you choose not to move away from your conviction, you leave room for God to move upon your situation. Some of you guys going back to public schools, I get it. Secular colleges, I get it. I've been there. I've done that. I want to encourage you. Whatever that looks like, whatever mandates or restrictions are in place, keep in mind, when you hold and toe the line of biblical conviction, you leave room for God In your situation, the moment you compromise and look more like the world than the word, that's the moment God can't work, can't move, won't move, can't. So I'm calling this assembly to search your own heart and ask yourself where are you loyal? Who is your God? Do you know Him? Daniel did not move away from his conviction, God moved upon his situation. Daniel's convictions were not built on a culture. Daniel's convictions were built on Christ. And You may have felt like these past 90 plus days have kind of watered down the momentum that you had previously. And I just want to say this because the arguments and the debates are real. From the beginning of this thing, you saw the news, the arguments behind is church essential or non-essential? You want to know why I didn't move? And I'm a minister of the gospel. I work at a church. You don't know why I didn't move? You want to get caught up in that? Should we open our doors? When should we open our doors? How do we navigate this? You want to know why? Because Jesus settled whether or not the church was essential or non-essential in the Bible. When he said, the gates of Hades cannot prevail against my church, he made a statement that no matter what you do, this church is going to keep moving forward. If you've relegated your church to a building, then you've missed God moving in your being. God is about removing the crutches of Christianity and comfort. And the lesson that he's taught me in these past 90 days, Matthew, get comfortable in the uncomfortable. Know who you are in me. Understand my narrative. Lead with the gospel. Do justly, Micah 6.8. Love mercy, but walk humbly with your God. Anybody else sweating? So the most beautiful thing about this particular service is one, We can come together. Was anybody struggling with public, or let me say it like this, pent-up public worship syndrome? Was anybody craving to be with the people of God, to be able to sing, to be in the lawn under the teaching of God's word? If anybody's spiritual pulse is beating right now, and you're saying, you know what? What he just said out of the word of God, that's landed in my heart, and it could go both ways. You could need a a renewal of that that conviction, or you could make a decision for the first time to give your life to Jesus because you were raised in a Christian household, but you never actually gave your life to Christ. You were raised in it, but you've never been born again into it. So I want to open up what we call in church world an altar. An altar is a place where you come up and you sacrifice. And the sacrifice that you're to focus on is the one that Jesus paid on that cross. And when you receive that gift, he takes away all of your sins, past, present, and future and when we do a baptism, it's symbolic in nature. It's refreshing of the Holy Spirit. When you go under the water, it's saying what 2 Corinthians chapter 5.17 said. Old things have passed away. They are drowned out. And when you rise up out of that water, you're associating with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, new life. All things in your world become new. So I want to invite anybody at this particular time, if you feel called to get baptized, this assembly would love to celebrate you. Don't be held back by peer pressure. If that's you, God's calling you to come. The worship team's going to join me behind me. They're going to sing one final song. Pastor Mike is going to join you in the tub, and you'll get baptized. That's what the mandate of the Bible says. So if that's you, no matter where you're at, way in the back or here in the front, would you come? Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this assembly. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. I pray they discover who they are, citizens of heaven, no longer conforming to this world. But as Peter said, aliens, journeying through. Pray for hearts right now. Anybody that's considering a decision for Jesus, Holy Spirit, begin to move. Let them know how much you love them. And if you could save a wretch like me, and you could transform a heart like Little John, that you could save them from themselves, take their sin away, throw it as far as the east is from the west. Renew this assembly. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.